Productive Ministry is back, and today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you go to audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I don't know if you are a big audiobook listener. I know that I am personally. I enjoy my Audible subscription and usually have something I'm listening to. So one of the recommendations I'm going to make today is by the author C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. It is one of my favorite works by him. And uh, and it's a very enjoyable audiobook to listen to. If you're looking for something a little lighter, uh, you can check out the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a classic by C.S. Lewis. Very enjoyable to listen to. Both of these you can find at audible.com. When you sign up for a free trial and get a free book, go to www.audibletrial.com slash productive ministry and go help us out. Now for today's episode with Dennis Jernigan. Welcome to Productive Ministry. Our guest today is Dennis Jernigan, who many of you know probably because you sing his songs in church. Songs like You Are My All in All, Thank You, Who Can Satisfy My Soul, I Belong to Jesus, We Will Worship the Lamb. He's written lots of songs, been very prolific as a worship leader. On his website, it says that he's a song receiver. I'm definitely going to ask you about that. And an author. Of course, he's a husband and a father, and his book, Renewing Your Mind, will be available on Amazon, August 1st, which is tomorrow. So thank you, Dennis, for being on our podcast today. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, man. Thanks for having me, Rocky. I love it. I read your book, and there is so much that I love about it. And I just have a million uh, (laughs) and one questions. Were you going through something when you were writing this? Like, I'm just right there with you. And I don't know if that's a consequence of you being a songwriter, and that's just how you write. But I just felt like you were feeling things. Well, I'm always going through something. I mean, I'm human. So <laughs> I'm always on yeah. the, in the process of renewing my mind. And because of the nature of my story, I, I literally hear from people every day who want help, want to know how I came to the place of freedom I experienced. And uh, long story made short, I just needed something concise that would explain to people the process I go through still to this day to renew my mind. And uh, you know, we're constantly talking to ourselves, even when we sleep. So I wanted people to understand that we're always in self-conversation. So it's important that we tell ourselves the truth. And, right. you know, so that's the crux of the book. And at the very beginning in the preface, I mean, you just start and you're completely honest talking about your struggles and you're saying that all of these struggles and all of these things are born over this confusion of identity. Right. Confusion that resulted in chaotic thinking. And then in the first chapter, the very first thing that the the chapter title is, do you believe you have a choice regarding whatever it is that you're dealing with? Man, and that's just so profound. I'm wondering if you can kind of elaborate on how you earned that wisdom or got to the point to where you know that that's the question you should be asking. (laughs) Well, I have made so many bad choices in my life and I always felt like there were certain aspects of my life where I had no choice in the matter. But reality is we always have a choice 
as to how we respond to any given circumstance, any given situation. Uh, we may not have a choice as to the things that tempt us. We may not have a choice as to our circumstances of life, but we certainly always have the choice as to how we're going to respond to those things. A good example would be when I was a kid, I was an artsy-fartsy kid. My parents didn't know how to deal with me. I didn't know how to deal with me. I couldn't explain the way I felt. I couldn't explain the way I thought. I couldn't explain anything about myself. I just was different. Sin always tries to get us to focus on ourself. And that's just one of the main schemes of the enemy. And one of the things that I would do as a result of my frustration as a kid, I would just have these temper tantrums. I would just lose it, man. And my mom would always chime in with, you come by that naturally. Your great-grandparents had red hair. They were fiery red-headed people. They were angry people. You come by it naturally. In other words, that's just the way you are. When the Lord right. set me free, one of the first things he dealt with was my anger. You know, he came to me one day in the spirit and just said, son, who told you you were an angry man? I said, well, Lord, that's just the way I am. That's just the I come by it naturally. That's what my family's told me. He said, but did I tell you that? Well, no. Mm. He said, son, that, that's just something that was never, and I never intended to identify you with. That's not your identity. Let's rip that away. That's something that defined you in your old way of thinking. But see that heart of peace I planted in you? That's who I want you to be. Just be the man of peace I say you are. I'm your maker. Wow. I'm the one who made you. Come to me to find out who I say you are. And That's I guess a, a good case in point as to what I'm talking about there. That's such a big issue because there's so many times I think that we're defined by like our actions or, or our struggles and to say the most important thing about you that people see that people want to know is, you know, you're an alcoholic or you're overweight or you're an angry person or you're a homosexual. And then it becomes this, this pattern of that's, how you see yourself. So that's just who you're going to be. And that's all that matters. And you really begin to feel like, oh, you don't have a choice in the matter, right? Like this is just who you are. It's just the the truth about who you are. Yeah. We develop those thought patterns by believing a lie initially. And I just decided a long time ago, I'm, I'm tired of the lies. I, I want to know what the truth is. Uh, something I go to often to explain what I'm talking about is Uh, I've heard that government agents, when they're being taught how to recognize counterfeit money, they never show them the counterfeit money. They show them what's real and what's right. So I had to get to the point where I realized, okay, I've got to have my worldview nailed down. I've got to have solid ground from which to operate. Uh, In my way of thinking, there are three major worldviews. There's a God-centered worldview. There's a Mm man-centered worldview. And there's a mixture Mm -hmm. of the two. I, I threw the mixture out and then I threw out man's wisdom as well because you know we, we live in a society and a culture where we we call wisdom whatever is the current knowledge of the day according to man's wisdom well man dies man operates on the whims so often one day up is up one day up is considered down that's no way to live in my thought life proverbs 23 says as a man thinks in his heart so he is uh paul tells us in his writings in romans 12, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I grew up believing I was homosexual. I did not want to be homosexual, uh, but I was told that's the way I was. My feelings said the same thing. But you know what I've discovered, Rocky, is that every feeling I have is attached to a thought I am thinking. Uh, 
it stands to reason if I can change the way I think, I can change the way I feel. And if I can change the way I feel, I can change the way I behave. I can change every attitude about myself. And that's been true in my life. I just decided I would believe who God says I am. He's my maker. In other words, when we have a problem with our computer, do we go to the ice cream store to get it fixed? <laughs> that would be that would be ridiculous. Yeah. What do we do? We go to the manufacturer or we go to the manual. Well, my goodness, we have the manufacturer, our God, our maker, as close as our next thought. Why would we not go to him? We have his word, his manual. We have direct access to God through the spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. So I, I just yeah. decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to chunk all the stinking thinking, as I call it. And I'm going to put off those thoughts and put on what is right about who my father says I am. You know, one of the ways I discovered who I am is just by going on this long haul journey, just discovering who my father is. Because I, I realized mm. I believed a lot of lies about who God is. Um, yeah. Part of the reason for that is the way I was raised. I was raised in the church. I, I grew up. I was church pianist from the time I was 10 years old. And I remember already at 10 years of age, having experienced sex with other boys, believe it or not, already having experimented with other boys. So I knew I was different than other boys because they, you know, there were this group of kids at school who went out of their way to remind me that I was a fag and a queer. I heard that constantly. Yeah. And I didn't even know what those words meant for a long time. I just knew it meant I was different from other boys. But I'll never forget uh, the day when I was 10 years old. I was at church after Sunday school. I was playing with my brothers and my cousins on the church steps. And while we were there playing, uh, the men who taught me about God from the time I was a little boy, the men I respected most in my life, the most godly representatives to me on this planet, began talking about homosexuals. And then I, I listened. They didn't realize, listen, realize I was listening they didn't realize that it was me they were talking about, but I knew they were talking about me. They just didn't know it was me they were talking about because everything they described is how I felt. So right. I, my only conclusion that day is they hate me. And if they hate me and they know God as well as they do, God must hate me. So I yeah. grew up believing God hated me. I really did. So can you imagine being a 10-year-old boy feeling absolutely, utterly hopeless? Because that's how I felt. Wow. So I had no other recourse than to go into full-fledged performance mode. I didn't know what to call it at the time. I just knew that if I was good at stuff, people complimented me, they liked me, they didn't ask questions. And that's you know, something I discovered as well. Is I heard so many times people talking about me, but it was positive. The adults especially would say, don't you wish your boy was like that Jernigan boy? And then every mm. time I heard that, I would say, no, you don't. And to myself, I'd say, no, you don't. If you knew what I was really like, you would hate me. You'd despise me. You'd disown me because of the way I am, because of the way I, because of who I am. And so I thought there was no hope for me. So I was great at sports. I was great scholastically. I was valedictorian of my senior class. I started on the basketball team. Before you think the valedictorian thing was that big a deal, there were only 12 in my senior class, but it was a big, <laughs> big deal to me. Hey, number one is number one. That's it, baby. <laughs> so, you know, so. I say all that to say that my feelings, I, I couldn't let them define me the rest of my life. And I, I got so miserable. Right. I have a thousand things going through my mind right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, unfortunately, because I'm human, I'm not going to be able to remember them all. But I have to say, like, one of the things I loved about the way that your book is set up is that you talk about what it is you believe to be true about yourself. And then 
who it is that, that God says that you are. And then you have this whole chapter where you talk about all, all the things that God is to you, right? And right. Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. Two, two things are resoundingly true. Um, one is what you believe about yourself affects everything. And you can believe the world or you what the world says about you or what God says about you and what you believe about God and having a correct view of who God is affects everything else too. And I, you know, I just have to, you know, acknowledge you and appreciate you for that because there's some, that's some life changing truth. And when, when your readers are going to go through this book and they're going to see, you know, trying to figure out who they are, one of the great gifts that you give them is just a list <laughs> of all of these references to, to who the presence of God is yeah, in their life. That's just so a short list. actually. Awesome. You know, God yeah. is, it's so funny. Um, many years ago, this, this may not sound like it goes with what you're talking about, but it actually does. I was told back in the early days of my music career that you need to strike while the iron's hot, Jernigan, because someday you're going to run out of song ideas. And I looked at that person. I said, then you just limited the God that I know because the God that I know is so immense, so immeasurable, so vast in who mm. he is that I don't think I could ever come to the end or exhaust all my ways to praise him because of who he is. I love this part of the book, and I, I don't mean this arrogantly at all, but I love to brag on who God is. Because mm. if he is Jehovah Jireh and I am his son, then his spiritual DNA flows in my spiritual veins. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I don't have to sit beneath the table in this life and settle for the crumbs that fall from the table of the king. I get to sit boldly at the table of my father because he is king of kings and he is the God, high God almighty. So um, mm -hmm. if he is Jehovah Jireh, then that means he's provider. That means he's put that heart in me to help provide a way for people around me to have things that they need, whether it be spiritual needs or tangible needs. He's, he calls himself Jehovah Rapha. I am your healer. If he is healer, then I am to be an agent of healing to those around me in some way, shape or form. Um, mm -hmm. If he is oh, Jehovah Shalom, peace, I am your peace. Well, that means I'm an agent of his peace. You get the idea. Who my father is yeah. tells me a bit about who I am in the process of it all. There's this view, I guess, in the world today that says that if you struggle with something, that's the truth of who you are, right? right. And your struggles uh, really define your person and they define your character uh, and they become like the most important thing about you. And you talk about the difference between being free from your sin and recognizing that temptation is still a thing that happens. Sure. You know, on the long list of things about my life is right at the top of the list is uh, Dennis Jernigan does not get to define himself. His maker gets that privilege. Mm -hmm. And if that is true, then my past does not define me. My circumstances do not define me. My failures do not define me. My temptations certainly don't define me uh, because I know that's true because Jesus says, or God's word says in Hebrews that uh, Jesus was tempted in every manner, just as we are, yet without sin. So right. if every manner, that gives me a lot of hope in the fact that, you know what? If God, if Jesus, the maker of the universe, the king of kings, was tempted in a homosexual manner, yet he did not sin, that tells me that the temptation does not define me in any way, shape, or form. 
So, you know what? That gives me a lot of power to overcome. I don't consider myself a sinner saved by grace. That guy's dead. The sinner, Dennis Jernigan, died November 7th, 1981. And I just never let him Mm. be resurrected. (laughs) People, the most asked question of my life, Rocky, is was your healing instant or has it been a process? And the answer is absolutely yes to both of those questions. In an instant, I was born again. I couldn't get any more saved in a sense. I I was totally redeemed. I was totally transformed in the nature of who I am. I became a new creation, which means all the old Dennis Jernigan was passed away and only new has come as a result. A great picture would be like everything that the mighty oak tree is, is already in the acorn. It just needs to grow. Mm -hmm. I've been growing since 1981. And another great picture, and I use this in the book, it's one of my favorite illustrations, actually. When the friend of Jesus had died named Lazarus, Lazarus had been in the grave several days. Jesus came to the grave and he said the simple words, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth and he was fully alive, just as I was fully alive the moment I was born again. But we know Lazarus was not free in that moment, not completely free. Because Jesus said something very significant to those around Lazarus. He said, loose from him the grave clothes. Jesus, he saw that Lazarus was fully alive, that he wasn't as free as he needed to be. In other words, he was wrapped up Mm. like a mummy in my mind. He was this mummy walking out. And if I had been dead for several days and somebody made me alive, I would want to jump and shout for joy. But if I was wrapped up like a mummy, I'd be saying to those around me, help me get out of this junk. This isn't who I am. So since November 7th, 1981, I've just been walking towards Jesus like Lazarus. And he'll say things to me like, you know, I mentioned the anger a while ago. Son, who told you you were angry? That's part of the the grave clothes. They don't define you anymore. They defined you in your old life in that place of death. Let's rip Hmm. that away. And see that heart of peace I planted there? Just be that. I've done that in every area of my life. Who told me I was that way? Is that the truth or is that a lie? It's as simple as that. And people ask me, how did I develop that discipline? Well, uh, I still practice this to this day. I get up in the morning and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to wear? Lord, what do you want me to eat today? Lord, help me be aware of your spirit so I can be sensitive to the needs of people around me. Because I'm not here for my glory or my good. I'm here for your glory and your good. So, mm-hmm. uh that is honestly that's intense yeah. man that's well it intense. gets even more intense in this sense in 1981 i was so convinced that i'd been duped my whole life by the enemy that i decided i would go on this i call it my part of my incredible journey from 1981 to 1993 i just cut out cut off as many voices that were vying for my attention and my thought life as possible i i missed I I didn't listen to secular radio. I didn't watch TV for 12 years. I just completely missed the 80s. And this is just as a side note, I've gone back and listened to some of the 80s music now, and I totally missed nothing that I can tell of of much (laughs) importance. And that sounds terrible. That's hilarious. But what it did. I love 80s pop music. Do you really? I'm guilty. Oh, it's terrible. No, here's here's (laughs) the reason. There's not, there's anything wrong with that. Just for me. What I put in my mind is what I tend to get out of my mind. What we reap, what we sow is yeah. what we reap. If we want good to come out of our mind, then we need to put good into our minds. So I'm, I'm still fasting in a sense to this day. I, I've time to time to just keep up with the culture. I'll go back and try to listen 
to pop music, but I can't because it's so, just takes me to places right. I don't need to go. Makes me think thoughts I don't want to think that are contrary to my nature in Christ. So for that reason, I haven't listened to secular radio in, oh my goodness, over a year again here. What would you say to our listeners who are, you know, just like you, who are human, who believe that they've been freed from sin and believe that they have a new life in Christ? And then there's that temptation, that familiar whisper, that familiar voice that's just kind of followed them. And they don't do anything, but then they just feel terrible guilt because they, you know, they wonder things like, well, why, why is this voice still in my head? Well, do you, I mean, the, the enemy, he, he despises us. If we love Jesus, he despises us. He hates us. He wants nothing more than to trip us up, especially in the area of our identity. If he can trip us up there, he's got us, man. That's one of the reasons I, I just spend so much time working on my thought life. I surround myself with people who are going to tell me the truth. In fact, it's, it's so funny, but uh, one of my personal rules is Dennis Jernigan does not get to call himself something his father does not call him. You know how you'll be going around about right. your day and you'll do something so boneheaded. You just say to yourself, oh, you stupid idiot. Well, if my, par- if my yeah. wife or my kids hear me say that, they just say, wait a minute, dad, honey, is that who you are? Is that who father says you are? And then I have to repent on the spot. No, that's just a lie. I've just believed. If the enemy can get us focused on ourselves, he has us, basically. He has us. And yeah. I'm one of those guys that I, I believe the enemy is real, but I believe he's not real present <laughs> in the sense that God is. God's all omnipresent. The enemy can't be. And even his demons, there aren't enough demons mm-hmm. to always be on me all the time. That's just what I believe. But here's where he has us. If he can get a, a thought planted in our, in our minds, get a lie planted in our minds, he can walk away and let us do the dirty work for him. But we've got to stop yeah. the stinking thinking. And I was asked yeah. this morning just by somebody online how to recognize when I'm walking in stinking thinking. And, well, what are you feeling in the moment? Because every feeling you have is attached to a thought you think. If you can trace the, the feeling back to that thought and decide, is that thought contrary to the word of God? Then it's a lie. If it's not, then I need to deal with something here. So in other words, we're responsible for our own thoughts. We're responsible for our own choices. We just are. And that being said, you know what? Uh, I'm not defined by my guilt. I'm not defined by my shame. Jesus dealt with both on the cross. And what I mean by that is guilt is a recognition that I've done something wrong. When I recognize my guilt, I repent on the spot and move on. Uh, the only time we're failures right. if we fall and just don't get back up. Well, repentance helps us get back up. We're running a race. When we fall in a race, we don't go back to the starting line and start over. We get up right where we fell and we head back towards the finish line. Just missing. We don't even miss a beat. Here's where d- the difference between shame and guilt. I heard this from someone else. I wish it was original to me. This other person I've heard speak says that shame is... Guilt is the belief, is the understanding that I've done something wrong. Shame is the belief that I am something wrong. Well, Jesus dealt with that on the cross. If we're in Christ, we are new creations, pure and simple. We are relegated to the place of joint heirs with Christ. That means everything that is available to Jesus Christ is available to us because we're joint heirs with him. 
so many believers this day and age, they're so convinced that they don't deserve anymore, that all they deserve is to sit beneath the table and settle for the crumbs that life brings them. Well, I'm not one of those guys. I believe I'm to sit boldly at the table, sit with the king and partake of his presence in this life. I don't have time for stinking thinking, especially about myself. I repent when I've sinned and I move on down the road as a child of the king, pure and simple. There are a lot of different kinds of sins in the world, right? We all recognize that. And I think that when we talk about things like addiction or, you know, gluttony or whatever, like the world is completely open to saying that a person can get help and change. But when it comes to homosexuality, like the world is very adverse to anyone who says, well, you know, this is something that I struggle with, but this is not who I want to be. Uh, and if you try and change that, it's just like you're this pariah. Why do you think that is? Why this sin? Well, just one of my personal beliefs. I can't back this up scientifically or any other way, but I just believe that if the enemy wants to get his message out, he goes after the most creative, most high intellectual people that he can. I just believe homosexuality is one of those areas because, again, I'm maybe going off on a tangent here. But I've always wondered why so many people in the creative arts struggle with same-sex attraction or just identity in general. Well, if I again, if I'm the enemy and I want to get my message out, I go after the most creative, most intellectual people I can find, and I try to trip them up in the area of their identity. Um, that's just yeah. that's just what I believe personally. When I when it came to me settling the issue, I didn't want to be homosexual, but my friends in the homosexual community said that's just the way you are. And they, when I told them I'm, I'm leaving that identity, they said, no, you'll be back. When that didn't happen, they said, well, you've just been brainwashed. And I have to come to the point of, I had to come to the point of agreeing with them. Yes, I've been brainwashed in a sense. I've had my mind cleansed. I realized even, you know, from the, here's what I believe from the moment of conception, I believe the enemy can begin planting thoughts in our minds because if, if we're thinking right. people, then that's where the enemy's going to hit us because that is the battleground is our mind. So depending on the, the way we were raised, even from the womb, if we were wanted, I believe that affects us. If we weren't wanted, I believe that affects us. I believe all kinds of childhood trauma can affect us. For me, when I was five years old, I was in a public restroom and a man exposed himself to me, wanted me to touch him and I wouldn't do it. I did the right thing. I ran and I was going to tell my mom, in the process of running towards my mom, this thought began to come into my mind. Why would that man think you would enjoy that? What about you says that he would enjoy that? And that was one of those moments where I, I realized, you know what? That affected me. I didn't think it had for many years. But that's where I believe the enemy got his foot in the door of my mind was in that moment. If he can get me to thinking differently than God wants me to think, then he has me. He has me right where he wants me. And then, you know, little things like my artistic abilities, my emotional sensitivities, especially when I was a kid, I felt, I just felt different from other boys, especially when the boys would point out to me the differences that, I, you know, how many times I heard, well, that's, you're like a girl. You, know, you like to dance. You like mm. to draw. You like to do this. You like to do that. In, in fact, I would take it to this point, looking back on my life, that and the very gifts of God that were given to me to be sensitive to those around me were considered effeminate. 
for instance, if you were crying, I would cry with you. I couldn't even explain it to you. I would just cry with you because you were crying. And if you were angry, I would be angry right along with you. I was just wired that way. I didn't realize it was wired for I was that I was wired for sensitivity to the to the needs of others around me. Nobody had ever explained that to me. They just expressed to me that, well, that's like a girl. You're so much like a girl. So I took it to the extent that since I felt so different from other boys, I felt ashamed even to do things other boys did in the sense of as simple as putting my hands in my pockets. That's how warped my self-thought became. One of the things that I think your, your book kind of opened my eyes to, because I hear all the time like from the homosexual community about like love and acceptance and believing and accepting yourself or, you know, this is who you are and all this other stuff. But you talk about not being happy, right? Right, And how you, um, what you were feeling was incongruent with your desires because you desired to have a family. Um, and I, and I thought to myself, I was kind of blown away. I was like, you know, when, when someone comes into my office, um, or when someone goes and they're asking for help because they're so unhappy with something, why would I, if it were any other issue, there's no way in the world that I would encourage them to keep doing the things that were making them so right. miserable. I think I quote this in the book. A friend of mine uh, once turned me on to this. It's just a, a great question to ask people who struggle with same-sex attraction. If you, you know, especially if they say that it was unwanted, that they didn't want to be that way. Uh, but a great question to ask is if you had the opportunity to go back to your mother's womb and you could choose to be either gay or straight, what would you choose? Every time I've asked that question, Rocky, uh, I, the answer is, well, I would choose to be straight. Well, what does that tell you? That should speak volumes mm -hmm. to who you are. Something deep inside of you says that this is the way it's supposed to be. Otherwise, why would you have that thought? The deepest places of God calls to the deepest places of us. And sometimes we have to wade through so many lies of the enemy to get to the root of the issue. And, and that's, that's another point in, the, in my book. We can cut off the tops of the weeds all we want, and those weeds will keep coming back. Those lies will keep coming back. We've got to get to the root of the issue. Who does Father say we are? Who did God create us to be? What was the, even the very purpose of sex? Even a homosexual has to come to the conclusion, well, the basic purpose of sex is procreation. Well, what does that tell you? Anything other than God's ordained method, you know, a man can't be with a man and produce a child. A woman can't be with a woman and produce a child. The homosexual community is basically having to counterfeit that. That's just reality. Mm -hmm. We can call it whatever we want, but it's opposed to God's reality. It's opposed to God's design, what his, his intended purpose was. Of course, love comes into the to the mix, but even even the homosexual community, even I won't even go that far. I'll, I'll take it further. The world has co-opted the meaning of love, and we've got to get back to what is the root issue of what does God call love? Well, and this is love that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's that's the the mm -hmm. greatest expression of love is the laying down of life. Well, that begins and ends with me as a, a believer too. I laid down my earthly desires. I laid down my lusts. I laid down who I, who the enemy says I am. I lay all of those things down, my self-perceptions. 
and I take up the cross of Christ. I take up my cross. And for me, that was saying, you know what? I don't want to be homosexual anymore. In fact, I don't consider myself a recovering homosexual. I don't consider myself ex-gay. I don't identify like that. Dennis Jernig is is a new creation. And if push comes to shove, I identify as exclusively heterosexual now. That's just Mm -hmm. my reality. I've taken up that cross a long time ago. I put everything else in the grave and I carry the cross of who who my father says I am. We deny ourselves. That's what every believer, we're supposed to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And it's not always easy, but it's profitable. It's good. Philippians 4.8 tells us whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of praise, I will think on those things. I don't have time for the things the enemy wants me to think of. In fact, I, as soon as I recognize a lie now, I kick it to the curb and I move on to the truth and just move on down the road. I don't have time to even listen to the world anymore in, in the sense of, uh, you know, even in some of my own events through the years, I've had to walk through protest lines who say I preach hate. But all I do is invite them in. You know, come in here. You'll see how hateful I am. You're welcome to come and listen. I, all I ask is you don't disrupt. The enemy wants to silence truth. There's no tolerance in the world for truth, it seems these days. But I won't be silenced. Yeah. Because I, here's, here's a big reason for this book. Is I remember being a kid, especially as a teenager, when I was coming into a self-awareness. Nobody ever told me freedom and change were possible. <laughs> I don't. I want to go down, shouting that freedom and change through faith in Jesus Christ are possible. Doesn't mean the temptations end mm-hmm. right away. Doesn't mean life gets suddenly easier as, as a bed of roses. No way. In many ways, it gets more difficult because the enemy comes at me tooth and nail. But why else would he fight? for me if it wasn't worth fighting for. You know, I, I just believe what God has done in me and what he's doing in me, what he's done for me is worth telling others about. In fact, we're all as new creations as believers in Christ called to, to the ministry of reconciliation. That means to me taking whatever gifts and, and abilities and God has given me and using it to bring others to be reconciled with, with Christ through faith and to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm nobody's savior. I'm nobody's redeemer, but I know the one who is. And I, you know, and I want to say this to your listeners as well. What if every believer in America, let's take it to this extent. What if every believing home in America saw itself as a hospital for Jesus? We could, we could change the culture overnight. What I mean by that is Melinda Mm. and I, in a sense, this is going to sound terrible, but to a certain degree, we, we become discouraged and disillusioned with the church at large because so, so many times, too many times, believers are not willing to get involved in the mess of someone else's life. We, we believers in America especially have come so accustomed to having instant gratification just like the world on so many levels that we don't have time, we don't want to get involved in the lives of other people, when it's going to take getting wading into the mess of someone else's life and walking towards Jesus with them. Because I believe that's what we're called to do. Life gets messy, but what gives me comfort and grace to, to, to take that next step is to realize I am not their Savior, I'm not their Redeemer. But by golly, I'm called to, to help them get to the one who is. And that's what somebody did for me. I, in a sense, I had to go outside the church to find somebody who would love me like Jesus. That sounds ridiculous, but it is true. Mm. 
Because back when I was wanting freedom, if you mentioned this in church, you were quietly asked to leave or, or you were humiliated yeah. and shamed to leave. And so the last place I thought I could go for help was the church. But somebody had the bravery to get him. You know, they invested in my life, first of all. They built a relationship with me. And then one night they felt like they'd made an investment enough that they could make a withdrawal. And the withdrawal looks like this. It looked like this. Dennis, I know what you're struggling with. And I, I just, I kind of laughed. And I said, because I, I thought to myself, there's no way anyone knows. And he said, yeah, it's yeah. homosexuality. It's, and I, go ahead. And then yeah, I took off, off running. running. <laughs> and then yeah. I came to a point where I thought, where am I running to? And I, that's the moment where I said, God, if you're real, speak yeah. to me. And, you know, people think I'm nuts, but this truly happened. I looked up in the sky and there were two clouds. One looked like an old man with a beard. The other looked like a little lamb. And the little lamb was consumed by the old man. And I thought, did I just see what I think I saw? And I realized, you know, yeah. that I just asked God to speak. And that was his voice to me, letting me see that. So it gave me the courage to go back. Now, I thought I would... I'd lost everything. So I went back to pack up my things and leave. And my buddy had not left. He was sitting right where I left him. And he said this to me, something so profound. He said, Dennis, I don't know how to help you, but I know I know the answer. And I said, what does that even mean? He said, well, it's Jesus. I said, well, I've heard that my whole life. How is this any different? He said, you haven't heard it like this. I'm so convinced Jesus is the answer that here's what I'm willing to do. Even though I don't know how to help you in your particular circumstances and particular temptations, but I know Jesus is the answer. So I'm willing, let's just walk towards him together and trust him to show you the answers. And he said, if, if you need a shoulder mm -hmm. to cry on, I will be that for you. If you need someone to yell at when you don't understand, I can take that. But here's, here's what I, I commit to you. If you fall down, I will help you up every time if you'll let me. That's all I needed to hear. And that guy still walks with me to this day. But man, it took me Mm -hmm. From 1981 to 1988, where I felt safe enough in the church, it took me seven years to feel safe enough in the body of Christ to share what God had delivered me from. That's terrible. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. How can we do better? So our, you know, our listeners are, sure. are a lot of pastors. And so, you know, well, first how of can all, we do better? I love how the body we, of Christ. I love yeah. the church. So don't hear anything other than that. Absolutely. Uh, but how Absolutely. we can do better is just training our people to, to do what Jesus did for us. What did Jesus do for us? He met us right where we were, but he loved us enough to not leave us there. In other words, all, I believe it's as simple as being willing to build a relationship with somebody who struggles with whatever. You fill in the blank with whatever it is. Yeah. But just be willing to walk relationally with them. And after you've walked relationally, you've made investment in that life and you have every right to make withdrawals because those withdrawal, those investments build trust and they, they build grace into the life of that person we're ministering to, to the, to a point where they really, they can right. trust us when we say the hard things. That's what I'm talking about. Anybody can do yeah. that. In fact, I, I have a great right. case in Good. point where I have a friend who was a cocaine addict for 17 years and he was this rough biker dude. I mean, we were totally as opposite as night and day. And he, you know, as I tried to build a relationship with him, he said, you're just going to be like the rest of the church. They talk a good talk, but they don't really love you when push comes to shove. And so he went through a series of circumstances where <laughs> I just loved him through it. And that's been 
several yeah. years ago now, and he's born again, believer, loves Jesus. And he's just recently asked me to, if I would teach him how to share his testimony in Narc- Narconotic, wow. Narcotics Anonymous. And I'm like, sure. But I'm just saying it looked yeah. like hopeless from a worldly point of view because we were so opposite. But all I did was just prove my love to him, just met him right where he was, loved him right there. I, I didn't have to get involved in his sin to love him. Uh, all I had to do was just prove my love just by being there. And that's as simple as I needed to be for him. So that's what I'm talking about. You talk about like the core is this, the, the like first things first, chapter four, right? It's connecting people into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's the, that's, that's the yeah. most important thing that we can help people do. Right. And we model that by the way that we love people. What's interesting is that even in the church, like we have a hierarchy of <laughs> sins, you know, and, and then there are, there are some sins that we're terrified of. Um, and homosexuality is at the top of that list and you can, you can cheat on your wife and, you know, we're, we're willing to work with you and we'll, you the process of repentance and things like that. But then we get to homosexuality and people get very nervous. There's almost some, I don't want to call it bigotry or, or just some things that we have to overcome in personal belief systems and personal thoughts and personal feelings that we have about homosexuals uh, before we can even really help them. And I think that because of our own brokenness, um, the homosexual community has is responding to that to to the fact that we mess up sometimes and we don't we don't know how to how to handle things or or we believe that that they are broken um, or that they can be fixed or I don't I, there's a question in there somewhere <laughs> I you know I'm just these these thoughts are are just going through my mind um, I know a lot of churches are have rewritten in the past few years, like their bylaws. And that's a thing that's happening in the church and specifically to address the issues of homosexuality. And there's a lot of fear that the homosexual community is our enemy and we have to protect ourselves. Yeah, the enemy's the enemy. Last time I checked, um, the enemy's the enemy, not people. Um, the enemy's yeah. the enemy, not people. There that's a go. quotable quote right but there. But it's man. true. And the that's church is so be- afraid of, offending someone sometimes as well when the the word of god is the offense to those who in sin <laughs> that's just reality we're called to be yeah. salt and light i feel like i read something close to we're that we're called somewhere. to be salt yeah. and light yeah. and both of those things are healing agents we forget that it sometimes the truth is yeah. hurtful to our flesh it always is <laughs> but we've got it we shouldn't shirk yeah. back our responsibilities from sharing the truth that can be done in a loving manner. And again, to me, it begins and ends yeah. with a relationship. You know, we've got to be willing to believe that the word of God is true as believers. In other words, whether I live, whether I die, I'm the Lord's. So what does it matter what people think of me? What does it matter if they label me a bigot? Yeah. A bigot is simply somebody who refuses to listen to anyone else's argument. Well, right. what's reality then? The, those outside the body of Christ can be some of the most bigoted people on earth, yet they cry out the most for tolerance and compassion, and we give them tolerance and compassion. It's not enough. They, here's the bottom line. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. <laughs> That's just it. Right. 
And so the truth of God flies in the face of all of us, if we're honest, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One sin separates us from the Father. We shouldn't have a hierarchy of sin because we all are in this in the same boat. We have need of a Savior, and Jesus is the answer. So I wanted to read a quote from your book. It's kind of a long quote, but uh, I thought it was pretty powerful. Um, and I just want you to kind of respond to it uh, because I think this really sums up what you're getting at here. It says, where is our core identity found in our body and our genitals and our feelings and our heart and our mind is identity found in our culture, the way we were raised. Is it found in our ethnicity or nationality? Is it found in our personality type or in our profession? Is it to be found in the way we perceive others? Does our sexuality define us? How about our religion? How about our language? Are we defined by our genetic code? Are we defined by our convictions or causes, pacifists, environmentalists, Black Lives Matter, conservatives, liberal, etc.? Are we defined by our looks? Some would say it's a combination of all these things that make us who we are. The scientific community would sum it up like this. Identity is the quality of beliefs, personalities, looks, and or expression that make a person who they are. Identity is conscious awareness. But let's think about this logically, about where all these various defining things emanate from. Do not all be, begin and end with the way that we think. Could it be our identity begins and ends with the mind? Could it be that in order to alter our, or our under, undesired habits and our ways of thinking about ourselves, we need to change the way that we think? I know this is easier said than done, but isn't our well-being worth the work required to obtain it? Identity is conscious awareness as received in our thoughts. It is our human mind. And uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. To think to think like it all starts with the way that we think it's it's that first thought that we have about ourselves. Right. And working to to change all that stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'll say this in relation to that. Fighting for our thoughts is worth every struggle we have to get to to get to the truth, because knowing Jesus intimately in my mind has been worth every struggle I've ever been through. And I will go down with that ship. I just will, because truth yeah. has set me free. The world can argue with with me all at once, but they can't can't argue with my experience. And what I've experienced in Christ has been worth it. And it all begins and ends on the battleground of my mind. Proverbs twenty three seven. I'll quote it again and again. As a man thinks, so he is. Romans twelve. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is possible to renew our mind. We do it all the time. Even that's where mm -hmm. I, I've got the anchor of my soul is in my mind, in my thoughts. And I anchor my thoughts to the word of God. I'm a new covenant man. I am signed, sealed, utterly, irrevocably who my father says I am through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing can alter that. Nothing. The world can argue all there. Even if science... Mm -hmm. Or one day to find a gay gene, which that'll never happen, by the way. It'll never happen. But even if they did, nothing alters who I am. <laughs> I'm who my father says I am. Yeah. So so there, put that in your pipe yeah. and smoke it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure to include your emails yeah, yeah. so people No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh <laughs> so 
Uh, everybody wants to know you got new music. Oh, yeah, I'm always writing new music. My latest album is uh, is yeah. very personal. I it's called First Love. It's available on iTunes and at DennisJerningen.com. But it's a collection of 16 songs. Ten of my most popular ones. Just and the whole thing is just me and a piano. I had the opportunity a, c- a couple years ago to go down to Tupelo, Mississippi, to the studios of American Family Radio, and record for three days, just me and the piano. Cause my son Ezra had this vision of producing an album for me one day. And he said, dad, I would just like to do your most popular songs just the way you do them when you're just by yourself. So that's what we did. Recorded mm. 19 songs, had room for only 16, but it's one of my favorite recordings. Then I have another recording that's a few years, about four years ago, but it's called days of awe. And it's more considered modern worship with a band and everything. And I love the music on both of those. But First Love and Days of Awe are two of my most favorite albums I've ever done. So, Yeah. Does it ever surprise you how much the songs that you've written affect people and how meaningful well, they just, are to so many people? Yeah, it blows me away continuously away because I know the story behind the song. I, I'm not a songwriter. I, I just consider myself a song receiver. And what that means is I walk with Jesus relationally funny story. When I was in college, I decided my freshman year, first couple of weeks of college, I want to major in songwriting. So I went to the head of the theory and composition department said, I want to declare my major as a songwriter. And this is an exact quote. They said, well, Mr. Jernigan, we only have a few openings in that area and we reserve them for people we see potential in. And we just honestly don't see that potential in you. And that crushed me. But Hmm. you know, when the Lord was in the process of wooing me to himself, I realized there were no songs that expressed my heart. And so I just began to write them. I said, I don't care what anyone else thinks. This is after college. I began writing music. And that's based on Psalm 45. One, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. In other words, if I'm ready and willing and able to listen to what my father has to say, he's more than willing and ready and able to pour those songs out upon me. So I'm just ready. I Everywhere I go, I have manuscript paper with me. I'm ready to receive. Everywhere I go, I'm constantly in conversation with the Lord. Lord, what about this person's needs? Do you have a song for them today? I have a song for every occasion, it seems like. Every major event I've gone through in my life, my children, my grandchildren, my friends. If you hang out with me, you're probably going to get a song someday. You talk a lot about like growing up on a farm and, and planning, and I keep thinking about <laughs> 10-year-old Dennis Jernigan. And all of those, I'm sure you were an adorable kid, uh, but all of the identity things that you were even struggling with as a 10-year-old, would uh, would 10-year-old you be amazed at where, you're, where you are now? Would not even believe would it Would he possible. believe it? That's the truth. Uh, that's just, as I look back, I'm glad you asked that question because I've never thought of it that way. But I wouldn't even believe it was possible just because of where I was. Uh, I mean, it was simple as I never heard my dad say the words, I love you. So I didn't think I was lovable until after I was married. And so I took him on a trip one day and I said, daddy, why did you never ask, tell me you love me? And he said something so profound. He said, well, my dad never told me, so I didn't know how to tell you. So with one simple question, one mm-hmm. honest answer, we got to the truth and the truth set us both free. It was an amazing moment. In fact, uh, 
if I can mention, I've got another book coming out in September. This is totally beside the point, but it's a children's book. But it illustrates the very thing that I just mentioned to you. Uh, I always thought my dad didn't love me. But when I was five years old, I wanted a basketball goal so badly. And so I went to him one day and I said, Daddy, I would want a basketball goal for my birthday. And he said, well, son, we can't afford a basketball goal. But I tell you what, I, I do have enough money to buy a basketball goal seed. So we'll plant one and grow it for grow you one. I'm five years old. That sounds completely reasonable mm-hmm. to me. So the next day he came home from work and he had this seed and he said, now, son, let's go pick out a spot for your goal and let's dig a hole together. So we dug this hole and he let me put the seed in it and I got to cover it up with the soil. And he said, now, son, your job is to water this seed every day. So every day in the cold of winter, I'm out taking a bucket of water, to this silly seed every morning and pouring it on. And lo and behold, after a week, I went out one morning and it had sprouted this magnificent three foot green section of pole, a pipe. And so I started watering twice a day. It was so amazing. And if you came to our farm, I'd drag you out and say, come, you got to come see the basketball goal. Me and my dad are growing. And my, the person would look at my dad and say, something's wrong with your son. He said, no, go look. We're really growing a basketball goal. Mm-hmm. So I would go out, water it twice a day. And then another week went by and another three foot section of pipe had sprouted. Every week it grew in a three foot section. It was so cool till the morning of my birthday comes and I'm, I just wake up. I'm in my underwear and my cowboy boots running out to the yard. <laughs> and, um, and like I stop in my tracks because this holy hush fell over the farm uh, because like it had blossomed in the night it was this brand new white backboard with a brand new orange rim and a brand new white net. And then my heart stopped again because there on the ground was like a giant apple that had fallen from the tree. It was a brand new basketball. You know, I say my dad never loved me. Wow. Right. Well, the greatest expression of love is the yeah. laying down of love. So that that was just one of those cases in point where I've gone back to my past and taken back stolen ground where I realized my dad was laying down his life all along. And I was so deceived by the enemy in my thought life that I couldn't, have, I didn't see the truth when it was right there being displayed before me in grand, magnificent splendor all this time in episodes like that with my dad. So I didn't mean to plug another book, but it's called The Incredible Growing Bas- the Incredible Growing no, Basketball okay. Goal. It'll be available in September. So <laughs> Excellent. I'll let you okay. get away with it. Just this once though. Man, man, it's been awesome. I can't believe that My it's goodness. already been an hour that we've been talking. Um I know, time flies, man. I appreciate your authenticity. I just I'm blown away by how honest you're, you're able to be. And I, and I recognize like testimony is so important, but you know, testimony really is a story about right. what God is doing in our lives. Right. I, I, I appreciate that authenticity in it and it challenges me uh, in so many ways. And that's one of my favorite things about who you are as a person is that you're, you're not afraid to talk about the things that, are, that you've struggled with, where you've been and where you go, you're going because you're, you're bragging about what God has done in your life. And that's beautiful. And it comes through in your music and people are going to see that in this book. I would encourage people also, I'm going to plug another book for you. If you haven't read it yet, uh, also check over, check out his uh, autobiography, which is called Sing Over Me, which is also a great, a great book and will kind of help fill in the blanks and the questions that you might have when you read. Uh, this new book that's coming out. So we'll make sure to link all of that stuff up in the show notes. 
Um, Dennis, is there anything, any final words no, for our audience today? Keep seeking Jesus. That's the best advice I ever, ever received was don't seek a ministry, seek Jesus because true ministry flows out of a life that is seeking Jesus. And that, that takes a lot of the pressure off and it even helps you as you renew your mind. Am I doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. as the process of seeking Jesus or is it just to make myself feel better or whatever? Get to the truth, get to the root and put off the lie and put on the truth. So thank you, Rocky, for your time and for helping me awesome. plug the new book because I really do believe and hope it will help a lot of people. Absolutely. And I agree. So thank you for being on our show. We'll link everything up. Uh, thanks again. Bye. that is Productive Ministry for today. We want to thank all of you for listening and sticking with us through our summer break. We are now back and you will be getting regular episodes in your feed, so make sure you are subscribed. Today's episode was produced by Tim Jenkins. That's me. We want to thank our special guest, Dennis Jernigan, for being on the show today. Also, we want to thank Audible.com for sponsoring the show. Get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash productive ministry. The Productive Ministry podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. You can also find us on the web at productiveministry.org. That's productiveministry.org, which is also home of our extended show notes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, We ask that you please rate and subscribe. This really does help us. Let me say that again. When you rate and subscribe to our show, it really does help us. So please go ahead and do that. We hope that you'll share this episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. That's facebook.com slash productiveministry.org. Follow us on Twitter at Prod Ministry. That's P-R-O-D Ministry. Tweet about the show using the hashtag Productive Ministry. And we'll thank you on next week's show. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC. And as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week. <laughs>